Well, good morning. I'm glad you're here this Sunday. If you would, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 4. And this morning, we're going to be looking at the Believer's Prayer. And that's also the title of our message. It's probably the title in your Bible. Some of your Bibles may or may not be. And so I got real creative, and I looked at it, and I said, you know what? This is fitting. This is so fitting. And so the reason I say that is I want to, I want to draw attention to the title for just a moment, and I really want you to look at it and see... The word believers. The word believers. This is the believer's prayer. So I want to give you a little thought on this. They were called believers because they believed. They believed. And I know this is not like some deep thought that you guys were wrestling with, but I really think sometimes, too often, we forget or we don't remind ourselves that the church really believed. When we look at the infant church, when we look at the early church, they believed. And we're right here on the heels of the resurrection. They believed that God raised from the dead. And 40 days ago, they, they seen it. They witnessed it. And now they are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so we've seen 3,000 come to know the Lord through Peter's preaching. And then we see as they enter into the temple in the beautiful gates that there's a lame beggar and that he is healed. And so we're seeing this narrative unfold from chapter 3 all the way into chapter 4. And right now we get to the section where we see the believer's prayer. Right after they've been, Peter and John have been arrested. And so in chapter 4, if you look back just one moment in verse 17, just briefly, I want to look at this as it kind of launches us into the believer's prayer. And listen what they said. Listen what Luke says in this narrative. He says, but in order, in verse 17, in order that they may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or to teach in all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them. I love this. He says, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. Church Peter and John, they were willing to risk it all because they have seen, they have heard the resurrection of Christ. And now they must testify to it. They can't hold it within anymore. And so they say, you must be the judge. We're going to do what's right in the sight of God. So this brings us to our our key verse And our key idea, the main idea, it says prayer enables the church to speak boldly the gospel in face of persecution. Prayer enables the church to speak boldly the gospel in the face of persecution. You've heard Michael say this and you've probably heard the quote from Spurgeon. He says, prayer is the slender nerve that moves the muscle of omnipotence. And what does that mean? It's the slender nerve that moves the power of God, right? It's the power of God that he is unlimited that when we come before him with our prayers God can do anything when we believe when we believe and trust and so here's our key verse verse 29 we look at this passage says now Lord look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hands and to heal and signs and wonders are performed through your your holy servant Jesus. And so we're going to unpack this. We're going to unpack this and we're going to start in verse 23 of chapter 4. But what we do, before we do, let me pray. Father, 
Father, give us the strength that we need to believe, to come before you and trust you. Father, that when we know your word and your truth and your promises, that you will empower us to be your witness, to be your testimony in face of opposition, no matter how it comes or no matter how it looks, Father. Teach us as the early church prayed, Father. Teach us together to be able to pray, to come before your throne and to seek your will. Father, I pray that we are a church that bring glory to your name no matter what we face. For it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. And so we come to the first scene. And the first scene is the report. And so the believers come back, Paul and Peter and John, they come back to those, their family. And it says this in verse 20, it says, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And so the first key to the believer's prayer, when we look at the believer's prayer, is knowing how to pray for one another. This is a key. So they come back and they report to their friends and family or to the believers. In some of your translations, it may say their own, come to their own. And so what this idea is, it's suggesting to us that there is now this division amongst the Jewish people. There are those who are pro-Jesus and those who are anti-Jesus. And before, there was a small number. And so the Sanhedrin was trying to, trying to get ahead of what was potentially going to happen by crucifying Christ. And so then after the resurrection, we see that there's like this 120, and then all of a sudden now we see 3,000, now we're up to 5,000. And so now there's this, there's this big group, this large threat that is among the Sanhedrin and the Jewish leaders. And so it says when they release them, when they let them go, after they have threatened them, they come back to their people, their believers, the church. They come back and they report of the threats. And even in scripture, I mean in certain parts of scripture, the word where we see the threat, the same Greek word here means that they were potentially even flogged. Like they beat them and then released them. They couldn't hold them because they found nothing against them. But there was a threat. There was a real threat to try and quiet the noise of the resurrection. And so they're trying to suppress that. And so Peter and John, they come back and they give a report to those to their friends and families, and to the believers. And so this moves us into the second scene, which is the prayer. And so the second key to the believer's prayer is praising God together for his sovereignty. Praising God together for his sovereignty. So look what happens next. After the report, it says this in verse 24, and it says, When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the seas and everything in them. Notice their response, right? Notice what they did. They, weren't, they didn't have anxiety. They weren't spending time trying to figure out what the next wave of persecution was, right? They came before God, and instead, with one voice, instead of trying to figure this out, with one voice, they raised their voice with one accord, and they praise God. They praise God. Paul Apple says that prayer was the early church's holy reflex. I love that. I love it. 
Like, are we a people that do that? I'll confess to you, I'm, I'm a guy that tries to figure things out on my own, right? I want to fix the problem myself. But the early church, in the midst of all that was going on, knowing this persecution was coming, that which just happened to Peter and John was small, but it was coming. It was coming with full force, and so they say, what, we're gonna, what are we going to do? We're going to praise God. We're going to pray to our sovereign God. We're going to trust and surrender to God, to his will, and not to man's comforts. Not to man's comfort. And so perhaps one of the reasons for disunity in the church is a lack of external pressure. That's a thought there. Keep that in mind. The lack of external pressure, right? Because what we've done is we've kind of built this, this false unity around compromise. And we see it happen. We see it in the church now. We're seeing it today where the church is compromising because they don't want to offend anyone. We're not fighting for sin. And so we're not getting external pressure put back on us as a church. And so therefore we have this false unity that we're built around. The believers fought for unity. They weren't scared of the external pressure. They weren't scared of the person in their cover that may not agree with them on abortion or on gay marriage or whatever it may be, on greed. They wanted to fight for sin. They wanted to rage war against sin, no matter the cost. And so are we afraid of opposition? Are we afraid of that? I think so. There's times in my life when I can think back of that. And so I pray that we are a church that's not afraid of that. And that when the external pressure comes and, then, and it's put on us, that we gather around together and we say, Sovereign Lord, you are in control. We want to praise you. We want to praise you for this opposition, that we may be a witness to this world. And that real unity is what marked the early church. That is what marked the early believers. And so they begin to pray and they say, Sovereign Lord, you are unlimited, unrestricted, unrestrained by anything. One scholar puts it this way. He says, they praise God for being what he is, omnipotent, the creator of the universe that helped put things in perspective. The Sanhedrin had power. God had almighty power. The Sanhedrin could threaten but it could go no more than one step beyond what God would allow. He created the sun and the stars and the seas and the shores. We have a God who holds in his hands all the forces of nature, all the factors of space, matter, time, all the possibilities and outcomes in the universe. The threats of the Sanhedrin seem rather weak compared with that, rather like a two-year-old with a plastic toy hammer threatening the village blacksmith. That's what it's like. We're so afraid and we have everything, all power, given to us and yet we stand there with a plastic hammer, afraid. We're afraid. It should be opposite, right? It's opposite. The world has the plastic hammer. They can't threaten us. They may can try, but we must stand and face then with the power of God. And so church, we must learn to start our prayers 
and this is a challenge. I've been wrestling all week to start our prayers with the sovereignty of God. And then we may find that our prayers are really bent around the Father's will and not our own. That's a challenge. It's a challenge for each and every one of us. And so that when all of our collectively, our will is bent around the Father's will, together in unity we pray. And we praise God and powerful things will happen. And so the third key to the believer's prayer as we continue is praying together the scripture. Praying together the scripture. In verse 25 it says, Who through the mouth of David, now this is Psalms 2, he says, Who through the mouth of David, your servant, said to the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? And the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. And so church, if we are a church and if we are going to see God do great and mighty and powerful things, we must acknowledge the scriptures are inspired by God and that they are literal. What does that mean? That means that we truly, truly believe and trust in the power of God, in his word, right? That he gave us promises for a reason so that we can trust him. We can trust, believe it's true. I can remember when I went bungee jumping and uh, I was like, okay, let's do it. You know, a friend of mine said, let's, let's go bungee jumping. I'm like, yeah, I'm watching these guys jump and they're coming back up, right? So I believed that it would hold me. I was a little overweight, but you know, whatever. I said, let's do it. So I get up there on the top and I had a nervousness, right? You have this nervousness about it, but I did not believe it wasn't going to hold me, right? Because I jumped. <laughs> if I wouldn't have jumped, I mean, I wouldn't have believed. I'm like, I don't believe this. I'm not going to jump because I believe the rope's going to break, right? So I jumped. And this is that thought there in the scriptures that we must believe. That's why they're praying this. They knew it was true. They believed and trusted God's word. And so what he says is that, that we want to pray the scriptures and remind ourselves of God's goodness, his sovereignty, and that he does what he says he's going to do. And so we must be a church that loves the word, believes the word, puts it in our heart, and that we pray the word. And we pray the promises of God. Psalms 89 says this in verse 33. It says, but I will not remove from my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. God is unchanging. He will not change. When he says it, he will see it through. And so we must believe the promises of God, the promise of eternal life, the promise of forgiveness, the promise that he will give us a new heart, the promise that he will fill us with the Holy Spirit, our helper. He has given us a helper, promise of our money, our financial, our needs, right? Not the way that we think. That can get twisted real quick. It's not the prosperity gospel, but it's our needs. God says he will take care of you. That may look different. We may think a different way than God thinks, but he will take care of us. He has promised that he will take care of his children. The Bible promises that healing, that he will heal, that there's wisdom and guidance, that he will give us peace, he will give us hope, protection, that he will give us a fear, a reverent fear of who he is. If we trust in him, he has promised that we will overcome temptation. And he has promised us the resurrection. And that's what's the reality right now when we're looking at Acts chapter 4. 
that promise being fulfilled empowered the church to do great things. To do great things. And not only the promise of the resurrection, but the end of suffering and so on. So many promises in scriptures. And so I challenge you to read those. Take them hold. Write them on your heart. Love them. Speak them. Pray them. That God may use them to empower you. There's a story about Dallas Theological Seminary. It was founded in 1924, and it came to the point of bankruptcy. They were about to shut down. All the creditors were going to foreclose on them that afternoon. And yet the men that morning met in the president's office, and they believed and they trusted in God. And one man was praying. His name was Henry Ironman, and he says this, when, he turned, when it was his turn to pray, he said, Lord, I know that the cattle on a thousand hills are thine. Please sell some of them and send us the money. And while they were praying, a tall Texas man came in the office. And he said, I sold two fields of my cattle. And he said, I tried to make a business deal. It didn't go how it planned. And for some reason, I felt like I needed to give the money to the seminary. And so the secretary, knowing the urgency, gets the check from him, knocks on the door, hands the check to the president. The president looks at it, and it's the exact amount that they need to pay off all the debt for Dallas Theological Seminary. And so the president turns to Henry, and he says, because he recognized the name on the check, it was a cattleman, and he said, Dr. Ironside, God sold the cattle. And I know we love this story. It's a good story. But what I want you to know is that God is so faithful to his children when they come together in unity and the power of prayer. And they ask. It wasn't a selfish asking from Dallas Theological Seminary. It was that they were trusting the will of God. And they're saying, God, we're putting it all in your hands. We know that you have put us here for a reason. And we want to trust you. And I promise you this. If, the, if they wouldn't have sold it, they still would have trusted God. That's where our heart has to be. That's where our focus has to be, whether the money came or not. But God is faithful, and he does great things. We have to expect him to do great things. And the only way that we can do that is by knowing his word, knowing his promises, trusting in him. And so the fourth key to the believer's prayer is this, praying for God's provision. Praying for God's provision. Provision, verse 27 and 28 says, For truly the cities were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And so right away, this first term for, it's a term of explanation. What he's doing is explaining the passage of scripture in Psalms 2, which they just prayed. And so in their prayer, they're explaining this. And so it says, For truly... For truly means like upon this truth, upon the scripture, upon the truth. He explains this. And he says this in verse 28. So here's the explanation. He says, upon this great truth that the cities were gathered against your holy servant. It says this in verse 28. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. These believers are acknowledging that although kings and rulers and and, and all the authority came against Jesus, God had long before, long before planned and allowed these events to occur. He wasn't thrown off track. 
it was no surprise. And I know that in our life, things may surprise us. Sickness, suffering, loss of jobs. We have to trust in God's provision for us. That he predestined these things to happen. And he only will allow what he wants to allow happen. And so even though these enemies came against Christ, God, what did he do? He still resurrected our Savior. He resurrected our Savior. And so we must continue to be thankful for God's provision in our prayers. That he will deliver on his promises 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overcome you. That is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your abilities, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You may be able to endure it. The fifth key to the believer's prayer. Praying for continued boldness and the working of God's hand. Praying for continued boldness in the working of God's hand. Verse 29 through 30, it says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hands to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And so in the midst of all the persecution, all the opposition that's coming towards the church at this time, there's only one request, right? There's only one request made here. For us, I know there's probably like thousands, you know, that we that we press. Lord, protect me. Don't let me suffer. Don't let you know, heal me, Lord. They're saying they're not worried about any of that. What they say here is they say, Lord, give us boldness. Give us boldness. And that's odd in the midst of what Paul and John, I mean, Peter and John just faced, right? They stood before the people that crucified Christ. They stood before the Sanhedrin and said, you be the judge. We're following Christ. And they had all power then to destroy them, to kill them, to wipe them off the face of the earth. But they were released. And so now they're saying, as I'm thinking, like, that's, that's pretty bold. Right, And then they say, we need more boldness. Because they knew that they only scratched the surface of persecution because they were going to push back against what the world believes. That's why we don't see persecution in the church. I alluded to it earlier. We don't see it because we're not pushing back in a way that honors God. We don't really believe that God can do great things. And so we don't have an external pressure being put on us like the early church was. And so they knew. Yeah, yeah, Peter and John, they might have, they might have got flogged. They might have been threatened. But now that we have 5,000 that's coming against them, they're going to come against us with all the power and authority that they can muster up. And so what do they say? Give us boldness. Allow us to continue to speak your words with boldness. Verse 29. Enable your people. Enable us to do that. Why? Look at verse 30. Why? Knowing that you will continue to perform signs and wonders and healings through the name of Jesus Christ. Why is that important? Because we are the witness of that. 
That in the midst of these signs and wonders and the miraculous things that are happening, we are the church. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit to be his witness. They knew that God was going to continue to do what God does to bring glory to his name. They knew that. And so what they say is give us boldness that we can stand in the midst of this and be your witness. Empower us. Empower us together. Look, this is us. This is the church. This is the church. And so I think of Paul's words in Ephesians 6, verse 18. He says this, praying at all times in the spirit and with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that my words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. As I ought to speak. Wow. I pray that God gives me that ability. That in those moments as I ought to speak. That I stand boldly for the gospel. And that I welcome the external pressures. And so the fifth key for us as believers is that we must pray for continued boldness. We can't be comfortable. When we become comfortable, we're not... We're not going to experience the external pressure that we need for the church to thrive. We're just not. And so the sixth key to the believer's prayer is this. It's kind of similar. It says to continue walking in boldness. And so they prayed for continual boldness. And so we often do that as the church, right? Lord, give us boldness. But here's the key. Now we have to put that into action. (laughs) We have to continue to drive, to walk in that boldness. And so in verse 31 it says, And when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Church, don't overlook this, this word place. This place, I mean, the upper room. He's talking about the upper room, right? Acts chapter 1. Don't overlook that. This is the place where the church gathered. This is us together corporately praying. There's models of prayer, the Lord's Prayer, right? How we should pray. But this is a key of how we corporately come together to face a world that is against us. If we truly believe the pressures of the world will be put upon us as a local church, and we must come together in unity and boldness and in power to proclaim Christ's name in the midst of their threats, in the midst of their opposition. And so because of their devotion to pray together, the power of the Holy Spirit enabled them to speak. I love that. Enabled them to continue to speak the word of God with boldness. Church, will we do that? Can we continue to speak the word of God in boldness? And so as Ian and the band comes back up, I know this was a shorter message, a quicker message. But it's a powerful message when we look at the believer's prayer and we look at the model, the keys that they have given us to collectively pray together in unity. And so I want to challenge us as the church to respond that way, to believe that the scriptures are real, believe that God is sovereign, he's in control, that his provision will go forth and that he wants us to be the witnesses He wants us to be the witnesses of all the earth. And he's empowered us to do that. He's given us his spirit. And so church, I want to challenge you 
And this week, when we get to our home groups, if you're not in a home group, I want you to be in a home group. And we're going to do this. We're going to pray together. We're going to pray scripture. And I want to challenge each home group leader. They'll get a, 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 a template sent out this week of what we expect. And we want to be a church that prays together, that we believe scripture together, that we unify together so that we will see God do great things. We welcome that external pressure. And so I want to challenge us to think through that, to think through the way that we see God in our life. Do we see him as just this helper when we need or want something? Or do we see him truly as sovereign God over all? That he's capable of doing everything and anything that he wishes and pleases. And that we want to be his witness and his servants. So I want to challenge us as the band plays. Also, for those who do not know Christ, if you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. Man, I'd love to speak with you. I'd love to share with you the resurrected Christ. Mike and I will be up here in front, and we'd love to pray with you. If you have any questions about that, come and see us. Allow the Spirit of God to move on your heart and come and talk with me, pray with me, or Michael. Let me pray. Father. Uh, we thank you for the early church and their boldness. And I know in my heart that I'm challenged. Father, I pray that not only am I challenged, and not only is this church challenged, Father, I pray that all the local churches are challenged to believe in your promises, to trust in your promises, that we may proclaim them to this world and that in the midst of the external pressure that weights down the church, that we do not compromise, but we stand on your promises, and that we are a great witness to your gospel. Teach us to be your people for your possession and to forget about man's comforts and push through the suffering opposition, that you may be glorified. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who gives us life, who has freed us from sin. For it's in his holy grace.